Psalm 74. O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion where you have dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing axes in a forest of trees. In all its carved wood, they broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. They said to themselves, we will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet. And there is none among us who knows how long. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. Yet, God, my king, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divide the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of the Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day. Yours also is the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. And you have made summer and winter. Remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs and a foolish people reviles your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beasts. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have regard for the covenant, for the dark places of the land are full of the habitations of violence. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Westside. It is good to be with you, and thank you again for allowing us to come into your home. And I've said this every week, we are thankful for technology, we are thankful to be able to do this, but there's also a part of us that recognizes that, is, that this just really isn't quite enough. And we are looking forward to and longing for the day in which we can assemble back together um, publicly and, and worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You will be hearing information about some future plans and in light of all of this um, coming up in the days and weeks ahead. But we are in our series as we're looking through um, the Psalms, particularly book three in the Psalms. And you can go to our website um, and click on the gathering tab and you can also see past sermons in light of the series. But what we're learning in all of this is, is to be honest with God. 
that the book of Psalms um, is extremely applicable and appropriate for this season of life. That um, this history of this book spans a thousand years of the people of God going through all types of emotional events. And so just like we are experiencing now where there's so many questions, there's so much going on, how do we handle this? What worldview should we have? The book of Psalms is literally a cup of cool water for our soul right now. And this psalm, Psalm 74, um, maybe to help us set up this psalm, there's a word that I've seen um, all over the news and maybe in some news articles like this, it's a word that is quickly followed after COVID-19 or coronavirus. It's the word crisis. And um, the Oxford English Dictionary defines crisis as a time of great danger, difficulty, or confusion when problems must be solved or important decisions must be made. And so amidst this pandemic, it's very applicable to say that there is a crisis that's taking place. And it's something that really we we haven't asked for ourselves, right? Um, It's something that's been thrust upon us. And quickly what follows a crisis is change, whether you like it or not. Um, Crisis, I read in an article this week, crisis is the cradle for change, And it compels that whether you like that or not. And listen, it can be for better or for worse. Well, we actually know what the backdrop of Psalm 74 is. And it is a crisis. It is a uh, catastrophe, if you will, to use that extreme of a word. Listen to the backdrop of Psalm 74 in 2 Chronicles 36. Therefore he brought up against them, the people of God, the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on on any young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and their treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its places with fire, and destroyed all of the precious vessels. I mean, it's, there's no way that we can even understand the magnitude of this event. That we understand that the backdrop of Psalm 74 is the destruction and the captivity of the people of God as they go into Babylon. Imagine if you heard that not only your church had burned to the ground by enemies, but your hometown had been rampaged by enemies, that women and children had been murdered and your house had been burned to the ground and you are now being led captive. That only begins to help us understand the type of crisis that Asaph is writing in Psalm 74. 
And on top of that, the Jewish people, the temple is the place where literally heaven and earth met. That's where they went and God's presence said that he would dwell. So everything that they know, everything that they have confidence in has been taken away amidst this crisis. And in a a little bit of a way, we feel the same way. For we thought that our confidence was maybe um, in the economy or um, in a political understanding. Or right now, amidst this crisis that's also taking place in different degrees in our lives, we ask ourselves, where do we get this confidence from? How do we march forward in this? Well, I think Asaph tells us this in Psalm 74, and there's three quick principles that I'm going to walk with you through. The first one is this, lament the pain. The second one is this, is is to look at God's power. And then the third one is to lean on God's promises. So the first one that we see in verses 1 through 11 in this is how to figure out how we can have confidence amidst a massive crisis is this, is to lament the pain. Lament the pain. Look at how many times Asaph in verses 1 through 11 uses the word why. The very first three words of this psalm are, oh God, why? Why? And then he goes on to say, why does your anger smoke against? Verse 7, they set fire to the sanctuary, God. Verse 10, how long, oh Lord? How long will this take place? And then he even says this, Why do you hold back your hand? So listen, Asaph is is seeing this crisis take place and he goes to God and he says, why? Why are you silent? Why aren't you doing anything? God, why? And one of the things that we see very quickly right out of the gate of this psalm from the very first three words is that a sign of, of relational health is, is going to God and asking these questions. You see, um, for some reason in the church and amongst Christians, um, we think that, that if we have the appearance of having confidence and having it all together, then that's, that's the healthy Christian. That's, that's the strong Christian there. But actually what we see being honest with God is a sign of, of relational health. Um, being honest is healthy. Hiding is unhealthy. Think about what our first parents, Adam and Eve, did. When they sinned, they heard God coming and they hid themselves in the garden. You see, we've been struggling to be honest ever since that moment. But what we see here is, is you're not a weak Christian and your faith is not weak if you are honest with God. <laughs> but we've learned a particular word and it's lamenting. And, and what we said is lamenting is living in the hurt and longing for the hope. You see, society, the world, um, modern day psychology, the the Bible gives us a category for grief and for pain and for all of what those emotions are and how to express those emotions. And it's lamenting. 
It's lamenting. I'm reminded of when I worked for um, a plumber for a period of time. And I remember always, whenever we would approach a job site, um, he would always say, well, the water's got to go somewhere. Well, well, the water's got to go somewhere. And that was just sort of a saying as we approached the job site to figure out how to start mapping sort of these things out. And listen, um, your emotions, they have to go somewhere. They have to go somewhere, whether you like it or not. And what lamenting does is it gives us a proper expression of our emotions when it comes to pain and sadness and grief. And listen, I am convinced that one of the main things that Christians need to learn to do is to grieve well. There are so many verses and so many categories in the Bible for this. And so I just want to walk through um, four quick lessons as to what it is to, to lament, that we could learn to lament. The first thing is this, um, lamenting helps us learn how to feel. Because one of the things that we do as human beings is, is we hide those emotions like we said, but we also like to be distracted. So whether it's our phone, whether it's work, whether it's, I mean, even just this week, I was processing some things and found myself um, for like six hours outside doing something. And when I realized it, I go, oh, um, I don't do well with, with sitting and, and feeling those feelings and emotions. And what lamenting does is it gives us a proper expression to that. And listen, why do you think, um, this might be controversial, but whatever, why do you think that, that liquor stores are allowed to stay open during a pandemic? Because that's a level of, of processing. That's a level of, can we numb something? Can we f not feel something a certain way? And lamenting allows us to do that. The second thing is this. Um, lamenting leaves behind the victim mindset. You see, there's a difference in lamenting and loathing. Self-loathing is the woe is me and why did this just happen to me? And it's um, what lamenting does is it allows us to express the hurt and the pain without inverting it and making it only about us because there's other people that are hurting. There's so much pain that's going on, which leads me into the next point. The third thing is this. Lamenting is how we live with other hurting people. Listen, I've said this so many times. Listen, you don't have to have a hallmark response to things. And that's also... all. Also a sign of, of, of emotional unhealth when we say sentences like, um, right in the midst of hurt and pain. Well, God needed another angel. I, I, I mean, God wants us to, to feel and what it is to process these things. And then the last thing is this. Um, lamenting leads us to God. Lamenting leads us to God. That's the key thing, is the very first three words, is that when Asaph experiences the crisis, that he goes to God. Lamenting leads us to God. Listen to me. Complaining and griping leads us away from God. Away from God. And so lamenting is is living in the hurt, but, but longing for the hope. It's expressing those emotions properly. And just right now, could I very quickly just speak to the men? 
and, and maybe dad, you're, you're in the living room I'm with your wife and with your kids. I need to speak directly to you. Um, we as men do not know how to express our emotions properly. And so primarily when grief and pain come in, we express other emotions. And most of the time for a man, anger is the most acceptable emotion that society says that a man can feel. When actually your anger is like an iceberg. And underneath that water, underneath that is pain and sadness. And we don't know what to do with it. So that's why most of the time you'll see um, in domestic abuse assaults that it is men abusing women. It is men experiencing and numbing those emotions and pain because we don't know what to do with them. And listen to me, we need to go to God. You say, Jason, well, what's the evidence for that as to this is how a man responds? Jesus, because it's all about Jesus. Because Jesus, when he stood at the tomb of Lazarus, wept at death. Because Jesus, as Isaiah says, was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And listen to me, man. Some of your children have never seen you cry when there's pain and sadness. We need to learn to lead our families. And one of the ways that we can do that is to lead out in lamenting and expressing sadness and pain biblically. So the first thing that we do is, is, is we lament the pain in a crisis. That even amidst this pandemic, there's been things that have been taken away from us. And that there is sadness about that. But the second thing is crucial. Is that when we lament the pain, lamenting leads us to God. Which then what we do is we look at God's power. We look at God's power. Listen to these words. Yet God, my King, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters, right? This is why I believe in the Loch Ness Monster, okay? This is some epic stuff here. You crushed the heads of the Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. And, he, and then he goes on to say that God even created the seasons and the times. You see, Asaph doesn't just live in this without any other perspective. Lamenting is living in the, the hurt, but it's longing for the hope. We're looking somewhere. We're looking somewhere. So what we're doing is, is that we are looking at God's power while we are living in hurt. And so the, a really important thing to look at is this. Asaph does something very crucial here. Asaph filters his crisis through God's character. Now, here's a great mistake that a lot of us do. A lot of us filter God's character through the crisis. And so the first thing we look at is the crisis, and then we say, well, this wouldn't happen if God was blank. That's backwards. What Asaph does is Asaph says, God is this. God, this is the character and magnitude of God. And in light of that, the lens that I'll now look at my crisis is, is through the lens of God's character. And then we see this. Um, in the present, when it doesn't seem to be that God's doing anything in the crisis, I mean, Asaph is saying, look at everything that's taking place. 
this is horrible. This is a crisis. It doesn't seem to be that God's doing anything right now. What does Asaph do? Asaph says, when it doesn't seem that God is doing anything in the present, look back and see what God has done in the past. Look back and see what God has done in the past. And how far back does Asaph go? Um, the beginning. The beginning. Asaph says, right now in the present, it doesn't feel like or seem like that God is doing anything in this crisis. So what I need to do is I need to go back to what I know. And I know that God is good and that God is the creator. And that he sings these magnitude of praises. If you were um, here right now in this chapel, we would do something that we do all the time. And it's so powerful. I ask a question and I say, Raise your hand if you personally have experienced and witnessed God answer a specific prayer in the past in your life. And we all raise our hand. The entire chapel raises our hand. And then I say this, now look around. Now look around. And we see that God has been so faithful. And, and we've learned this, that God is doing something in the present. We just don't have eyes to see it now that we just don't have eyes to see it now. But what's Asaph really saying when he talks about um, the Leviathan, this, this ancient sea monster and the ocean and the sea and the seasons and God's fixed boundaries? What's, what's the common, see, in the Psalms, we see a thing called parallelism, where there's a thought, the main thesis, and then there's multiple lines of poetry and analogy to express that thought. What's the common denominator with the sea and these creatures and seasons and all of that? It's that they're uncontrollable. It's that they're uncontrollable. I mean, have you ever gone outside when it's raining and yelled stop? How'd that go for you? And what we see Asaph says is, God controls the chaos. That God controls the chaos. That God controls literally the uncontrollable. So in the midst of a crisis, what we are reminded of, listen, all this pandemic and what the coronavirus has done is just exposed what was already there. And what's already there is this, that you are in control of very little in your life. Very little. But we live every day with the illusion that we are in control. And what Asaph says is, I feel this pain. I'm lamenting this pain, but I am looking at God's power. I'm looking at God's power. But then there's another transition, and it's beautiful. We see this, that we lean on God's promises. That we lean on God's promises. Look at how many times Asaph says, remember. In verses 18 through 23, remember this, O God. And then verse 22, arise, defend your cause. Remember, verse 23, do not forget. Do not forget what? Verse 20, here it is. This is, oh, I've been waiting the whole sermon just to get right here. Verse 20, have regard for the covenant. The covenant. What covenant? Oh man, this is it. Going all the way back to the covenant with Abraham, who is Abram. 
whom God said, I will make a great nation from you. It is the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the covenant that God made with King David as well. It is the covenant that's this. It's not a contract. Here's what we said a covenant is. A covenant is God pledging himself to his people based upon his own character. That's a covenant. That's a covenant. It's God saying, I am your God and you are my people. And this is based upon my performance, not on yours. You see, because what a contract is, is a contract is based upon performance. So if you buy a house or if you get employed somewhere and it says that we will pay you this much if you accomplish X, Y, and Z. And if you do not accomplish X, Y, and Z, then you will not get paid. That's not how God works with us. God comes to us and says that you are my people. And you know how one-sided this thing is. This is good news that Christianity is based upon the covenant that God has made with his people. And what does Asaph do here? Asaph reminds God of the covenant. Do you know what this is like? Maybe you've experienced this. Um, sometimes in, in a very stressful moment, kids... Um, let's describe it this way. Kids are like little assassins. It's okay to say that, right? Let's just be honest in church, okay? Like just little mind assassins. And what they like to do is in the most stressful moment, I mean, you're buckling a car seat, you're bringing in groceries. It's all, you know, there's a knock on the door. It's the UPS man, the dog. It's right in that moment, a child asks you for something or to do something. I mean, right in the midst of the whole, it's going down, the UPS, the car, it's right. And then what they go is, um, hey, dad, can I have blank? Hey, dad, can I eat an entire tub of ice cream? Hey, dad, can we go to Six Flags? I, just something off the wall, man, right? And what do you say as a parent? Don't leave me hanging here, okay? Um, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll talk about it. Um, I don't know, maybe. Okay, maybe I'm not as sanctified as you as a parent, all right? And then when it comes to bedtime that night and they're struggling to go to sleep, what do they say? Uh, 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 Dad, remember what you said today. Remember what you said. What are they doing? They're holding you as a parent to your word that you said. Now, I've learned that lesson not to make rash um, answers and decisions in a moment, or should I say, I'm still trying to learn. Um, just this week, Roman said, I said possibly, and Roman goes, possibly means yes, right? Okay, I'm still learning how to do this, okay? But God, God is like the perfect father. God is the perfect father who loves it, who loves it when his kids hold him to his word. And Asaph says, you promised, you promised that you would be our God and that we would be your people and that no matter what happens, even in the midst of crisis, that you would never forsake us and that you would never leave us. Now, there's something here in closing that is very um, familiar to us, or it should be. We have the word covenant, and we have the temple amidst a crisis. The temple is where heaven and earth met. It's where God met with his people. The covenant was the promise that God pledged. You see, what we believe as Christians is that Psalm 74 is fulfilled in Christ. Because Jesus is where 
God meets with his people. And actually that Jesus said in John chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove that you have an authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? Verse 21, but the temple that he had spoken of was his body. And then Jesus would say in Luke chapter 22 on the night that he was to be betrayed. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Oh, see, amidst a crisis and on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no temple for us. That there is no, Christianity does not have a centralized location that God meets with his people because the temple was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And that temple, though it was destroyed and it was dead, three days later it rose again. And Jesus said, now there's a new covenant And this pledge that God pledges to his people is now fulfilled in blood that is poured out for you and for I. So listen, this is good news. Amidst the crisis of all bad news, we lament the pain that we are hurting, but we look at God's power and we lean on God's promises. And it's this, that we have confidence. This is the big idea that we have confidence in a crisis because of Christ that our confidence amidst a crisis comes from Jesus Christ. So no matter what is going on, no matter what crisis that we face, we face it with Christ. And so in closing, I just have a few questions for you, and it's this, the first one. Do you tend to, to distract or numb your emotions and your pain? Maybe it's with a substance. Maybe it's with work. Hey, listen, maybe it's even with good things. Maybe even good things that provide great results. But the most human thing that you could do and the most Christian thing that you could do is to live in the hurt and to long for the hope. The second question is this. um, Have you sort of blamed God? Are you bitter at God because... You have filtered God through your crisis rather than filtering your crisis through the character of God. So maybe that hurt from that family member or that relationship or the suffering that you've experienced, rather than filter God through that, we filter that through the lens and the character of God. And then the last thing is this. Um, Asaph said that God controls the uncontrollable. Are you trying to control everything? Is is that where the stress and anxiety is coming from? And what this crisis has done and what this pandemic has done is it's almost blown the lid off everything. And the fear and the anxiety and the guilt. Um, If you're a man now, you're like, "I, I, I can't provide for my family in the way in which I thought that I could provide. Or maybe you're a single parent and you're a mom going, I can't do this now. Or now the relationships are now. And the anxiety that we feel is because we had a tight grip on things. And what we see is our confidence doesn't come from controlling that. Our confidence comes from Christ.
So Psalm 74 teaches us that we can have confidence even in the midst of a crisis. And it's because of Christ. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And God, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that we can come to your word and see in Psalm 74, the psalmist go, the very first three words, oh God, why? And maybe for some of us today, that's just very simply our prayer. Oh God, why? Jesus, save us from ourselves. Save us from the distractions that we create in our life. And let us learn to lament and to feel pain, Jesus, even as you felt it. Oh, oh God, may we look to you in your power and your strength. And God, we plead as your people the promise and the new covenant and the blood of Jesus Christ. That all of your promises, that we answer them back to you, God. God, never leave us or forsake us. God, call us and remain faithful. God, make all of these things work out for good because you said so and because you are a good father. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We love you and we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.